if you've been following along with us, we've been talking about the seven deadly sins. It's kind of a famous list of sins. It is not an exhaustive list. There are all kinds of sins in the Bible, but um, honestly, as I was preparing for this, you know, my personality is, is I like, I like change. I like things to be different. I, I get bored easy, okay? And so, I'm like, man, we got to talk about sin again, right? Like, does anybody feel that same way? <laughs> We're still talking about sin. Um, and I, but I know, and I know that it's important because we need to understand why we are the way we are and then hopefully get help for the way that we are. And so the question is, why is the Bible so specific about sins, right? Like, uh, and I think it's because we so easily want to minimize our issues and our struggles and our problems, right? And, 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 it's, and church isn't all about coming to hear about how bad you really are. That's part of it. <laughs> I don't want you to escape realizing, you know, the wretched uh, part of our nature as humans, but uh, I believe the reason that the Bible is so specific about sins is so that no person can walk away from the presence of God or hearing from his word and justify their own actions and justify their life, okay? We can't get away from the fact that we simply have just gone against God. We've, we've went our own way. We desire uh, selfishness above putting others before us, and, and ultimately God, right? And so I believe that that's why God is so specific about all the different sins out there in the world, okay? And, and, and so as we've been talking about, we're only highlighting seven, thank God, because, you know, we need some good news. You know, we need some good news in there, and there is good news. And that is the, the thing about highlighting all these sins is this, yeah, it's bad news that we're this way. You know, it's bad news that we struggle with things like pride and lust and greed and gluttony and anger. It's bad news that we've been so selfish and gone against a holy God, but there is good news. And the only way you can have good news is if there's bad news, okay? That's what the gospel means. It means good news. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But we've been looking at some of these sins, and... I wanted to help you understand the struggle, okay? So, so people who don't know God or haven't come to know Jesus, people who aren't Christian, um, I, I want them to understand what I said earlier, is that no human being is justified before God. No human being can be right. No, no human being can earn their way. We're all guilty. We've fallen short of God's glory. But then there's a struggle, though, when you become a Christian, and I think non-Christians could point this out in us. They'd be like, well, hey, you guys say you believe in God, but Christians aren't the greatest people either. <laughs> you know, like somebody might say, one of your neighbors, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but you know, one of your neighbors might not like how they can hear, you know, the yelling at your household, right? Or one of your neighbors might not like the fact that, you know, um, you, you drink coffee or something like that. Not that that's a sin, by the way. I, you know, I love coffee. We, we have free coffee out there. Um, you know, some of your neighbors might, might look at your lifestyle, though, and say, well, hey, those guys struggle? Are they hypocrites? Right? And that's the struggle with our faith in Christianity. And I want to show you some verses before we get started. 
Um, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, explained his, his, his own struggle with sin, and it's in Romans chapter 7. He says in verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for why do I want to do what is, or for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And he goes on and he says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And this is a Christian, mind you, writing this, explaining the paradox that we live in. We want to follow God. And thankfully, we can follow God as Christians through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us, through trusting in Jesus, but we can't do it perfectly. And, and I know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know that you feel the same way in your life. It's like, why? I don't want to treat my spouse bad. I don't, I don't want to be lazy. I, I want to disciple my kids. I, I don't want to overeat. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to have pride. I don't want to argue. I don't want to lust, but I do. What's wrong with me, right? That is the paradox that we live in, and I want you to understand. That's why it's important that we look into these things. It's important to, to, to call it out, to name it for what it is, to be honest. God wants us to be honest about that stuff. He forgives us for that, but he, he wants us to, to agree with him that we are miserable sometimes you know we're a miserable people sometimes struggling in this nature that we have today I want to get into the sin that we're talking about today today we're talking about envy and envy is an interesting one because there's no fun in it <laughs> like all the other sins I'm gonna admit like all these other sins you could probably pick out some pleasure and fun in there right at least for a moment until it leads to destruction but the one thing about envy is there is no fun in envy. Um, let's see what uh, Graham Tomlin, a, a guy who we've been following, reading a book about the seven deadly sins throughout this series, he says this about it. He says, out of all the sins, envy is different. It's different because it is the one sin on the list that has no pleasure in it whatsoever. From start to finish, envy is no fun at all. It is the most miserable of habits. Okay, so let's look at what envy is. Here's the Oxford definition of envy, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, quality, or luck, right? And so there are many synonyms to envy. You could say, you know, jealousy, covetousness. You know, these are, these are uh, feelings that we get when we look at other people out in the world. We want what, what they have, and we wonder why our life is so bad and their life is so good, and we look at it with discontent. And, and discontentment and resentment leads to bitterness, and that doesn't hurt anyone else more than it hurts us, more than it hurts you and me. And so uh, Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. It makes you sick on the inside. Job 5.2 says, Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. It is not a fun thing to be living and stuck in envy. 
And let's look at it for what it truly is, right? If you're a Christian here today and you believe that God provides for you, he's blessed you, he's looking out for your life, when you envy someone else or when you look out there into the world or when you're not content with your life, you're ultimately, let's be honest, although you might not be thinking about it, you're blaming God. And so here's maybe a better definition of envy. A feeling of discontent or resentment toward God because of someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. You see, that's the reality. We're telling, when we envy other people out there in the world, or the people in the church, or our neighbor, or, or whatever it is, or we're discontent, we're basically saying, God, why did you do this to me? You're so unfair. How come so-and-so has more than I do, or they look better than I do? They have better genetics. They're taller or thinner or, you know, whatever it is. Why, God? That's basically what, you, what we're doing. And here's the thing. Here's what James 3 talks about when he talks about this concept of, of jealousy and envy. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Nothing good comes out of being envious. Nothing good comes out of jealousy. So what I want to do today is look at three steps to defeating this in our lives, right? And it might not sound as practical, or it sounds like it might be more practical than it really is, but really what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few places in the Bible where we can apply this to different areas of our lives. And I want to talk about this first one that I brought up. When we resent God, we blame God for this, the situation uh, that we are in, okay? And so my first point is this, is our first step to dealing with envy is to turn back to the very God who seems to have treated us so badly. Now that's a quote from the book that we had read earlier, but it's being a little bit facetious here, right? We ought to turn back to the God who, who seemed to have been so bad to us that we have to, you know, look out there into the world and just want, right? And, and to, to not be happy with who we are and what we have, and that word turn back, that is the, the meaning and definition of repenting. And so the first thing we do when we have this sin well up in us, us called envy, we ought to repent, turn back, and not blame God for what we've been through. Now, we're going to look at a story in the Bible that we looked at last week, and that's the story of Cain and Abel. We didn't quite uh, dig into it as deep as, as we could, and I believe that this story will help pull more of this idea out there that we, we blame God and others when this sin of envy comes up in us, and the right response is to worship God, honor God, and to be content with what we have. So let me read in Genesis chapter 4, this is what it says. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And so last week we talked about anger, and we used the story about how um, Cain was angry because God didn't accept his gift 
But we also said that it was because of jealousy that he was angry. He was, he was jealous of his brother. Now, a little bit of what's going on here is just a chapter earlier in chapter 3, and in Genesis 2 and 3, is God created the world. He created man and woman. And then what had happened was Eve took a bite from this tree that God said don't do, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because she did that, um, he said, and, and then she got Adam to do it as well, and they're both complicit, they're both guilty in this. Um, because of that happening, it caused this thing called the fall, and that is why you and I struggle with this very sin nature that we have in the first place, is because they are the, the mother and father of humanity, Adam and Eve, okay? And from them, we have come to be, right? It's been passed down from generation to generation. They were created in perfection, but they fell, that's why it's called the fall. They fell because of their sin. They didn't trust God. They didn't worship God the way he desired to be worshipped. They wanted to go out on their own. And so after the fall, it says that the ground will be cursed because of you. And, and, and man, you will, have to, you will have to work and toil. And by the sweat of your brow, through the working and toiling of the thorns and thistles that are going to come up from the ground you will have to eat your bread. Now first, that, that gives us a little connection to why God may have not accepted Cain's gift. Because Cain, being the firstborn, remember, out of the fallen couple, this guy is the epitome of humanity, of the sinful nature. God says, you guys are now fallen, you're gonna have children now, and this is the first actual born procreated human being on earth, and what does he do? We could probably infer into the story, or some people would say that God did not accept his gift because Cain, in his pride, decided, you know that ground that you cursed and you said it was going to be so bad? Well, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm going to show you, God, how good I am, and I'm going to bring that before you as an offering. But some people would believe, scholars and theologians would say that God probably let them know how he wanted to be worshipped because of, you know, as we look forward into the Old Testament, God said that the only way to come to him was through the shedding of blood, of, of the, the, the killing of an animal and the shedding of blood. Hebrews 11 says, uh, sins can't be forgiven without the shedding of blood. You know, when, when Adam and Eve uh, fell, they were naked, and so God killed an animal to clothe them. And so if you look at Abel's sacrifice, he was a shepherd who killed a firstborn lamb and brought it as a sacrifice. And so one could say that it's possible that Cain wanted to worship God in his own way. Not the way that God had prescribed, not the way that God had desired, but God had, or Cain had pride in his heart, and so God accepted Abel's humble gift of following God in the way that he wants to be pursued. You see, God is specific about how to come to him, and Cain in his pride came to him in that way, and God rejects it, and this makes Cain very angry. And so what does the first procreated human being do? 
Um, he gets jealous as we go on. He says, why are you so angry? The Lord's talking to Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. See, you would have been accepted if you would have came to me in the right way, if you would have worshipped me in the right way. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And God knows, because God is all-knowing, that Cain is erupting here. And the first procreated human being is not turning out so well, and God already knew that. Um, and so what happens is Cain takes his brother out there working in the field, and he kills him. And then God comes and says, where's your brother? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper, God? Like, is that the job that you gave me? Again, he's, he's mad at God, not just his brother. He's not just jealous. He's mad at God because God has a way in which he said, I want to be pursued and worshipped, and Cain wanted to do it his own way, and so Cain doesn't want to accept the fact, because of his pride, that God accepted Abel. And so, ultimately, this story is about Cain being mad at God, and so he kills his brother out of envy and jealousy, and he says, I'm not my brother's keeper, and God knows that he had killed his brother. So for us, I want us to see and understand, <laughs> we are, again, the offspring of Cain, you know? We all came from him. This is the hope that we have after the fall. He murders, you know, he lies, he has, he's full of pride. So it's funny to think when human beings think that, oh man, human beings are mostly good. Well, if we look back at our ancestors and if we're really humble and honest about our hearts and our minds and our lives, we're mostly bad. We're mostly evil. And I can stand here and say that to you about my own self today. Not, I'm not just trying to project that all on you. I did have a joke about this story, and it was, you know, why, um, why didn't Cain bring the right sacrifice to God and be, in, be accepted? Because he wasn't able <laughs> so, that's the first step in defeating envy is to turn back to the God, not blame God for what we've done, but to look at ourselves. I wish Cain would have done that, but he had to go on with the curse. Later, you know, a new son was born, and through that seed came our Messiah, the plan of God that he had started from the beginning, but... But man, in his humanity and sin, tried to thwart that and stop that, and Satan ultimately tried to stop that. We've got to go back to God and repent and turn to him. The second step, then, to defeating envy is to learn to admire God's gifting in others without comparing them with your gifts. Now, this is the thing. I think this applies to the whole world, you know, looking at people like... like they, they were, they were created differently than me, right? Like just accepting the fact that I was not created to be a center in the NBA, you know? Like I, sometimes I've had pride, as, pride enough in my life to say that I could do that. But ultimately, if I went out and played, I would be humiliated. Because the reality is, is just by looking at me, I don't know if the stage makes me look taller, but I'm really only five 
eight, or re in reality, five, seven, and three quarters, but I round up. We've got to be able to accept and, and, and admire how God created each person uniquely and differently. And this also applies to us in the church, okay? You know, oftentimes inside the church, we're looking at other people and like, man, they're so blessed, right? Or some people would even say about some of the people on the stage, they have some amazing gifts, talents, and abilities to do musical worship, right? Or, or I might have the gift of being able to, you know, speak or teach, and some people might say, man, I wish I had that, right? But I, I'm here to tell you that just because I have one gift does not mean I'm gifted in other, other areas like you may be, okay? And, and so we've got to look around at each other, and the Bible says that we view each other as a body, and not everybody has... A body is diverse and unique. A hand is different than a foot, is different than an eye, is different than the head, is different than different body parts. And if we were missing any of these body parts, as some people do, know that it's, it's not the fullness in which we could fully enjoy God's creation. And so God wants us to come together in unity and be able to work together he uses that body reference in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but then he goes on to say, because in the Corinthian church, they were fighting amongst each other about what gifts were the greatest gifts. And so he says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? And it goes on and on. Of course not. So what we should do is earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. And I got to say something about this church, and I'm going to talk about my own weakness, and I'm going to be transparent. Recently, I have found out through some humbling circumstances and self-reflection that in my life, I haven't always been the best servant. I wish I was. Honestly, I desire to be a good servant to my wife, a servant to my kids, a servant to the church, you know, but I... I, I'm not naturally, it's not the thing, it, it doesn't well up in me naturally to, to be really good at being a servant, and I admit that. But you know what's beautiful about this church, specifically in Riverdale, is that there are a lot of people here that know how to serve, servant-hearted people that I am so proud of and thankful for. I mean, one thing, uh, Marlon Mason, who's the, the, the clean team leader Man, that guy shows up every single day. He makes sure, man, we make a mess in this building every day. It's getting used all the time for God's glory. And it's a big building, and it's a big deal to have to take care of it and make it look so nice. And we have people like him and his team, people that care about this church, that serve and love. And, you know, even when other people like me leave a mess behind, <laughs> like my wife does when I don't pick up after myself. You know, we're a great team, right? And, and, and you, know, the people, you know, Ivan on, on the sound, man, he is here hours upon hours just making things work, work well. Our, our, our worship teams that, that diligently practice to be excellent. Um, our media team, Ben and his team. Our kids' church team. Kathy out there, um, she, again, has a servant heart 
and, and her whole team to just serve our kids and love our kids while we get to be in here and parents get to maybe have, you know, a break from the kids for a little while and get to just worship and listen and they get to hear and worship in, in something that would be more exciting for them. And, and so, look, like there are some people out there in the world that you're, or in the church where you're, you're looking like, I wish I had what they had. But maybe that's not what God gifted you to do. There's a certain acceptance in life about who we are, our abilities, talents, and gifts, the lot in life that God gave us, that certainly our whole life shouldn't be to constantly desire more and greater and bigger and better, but that is the culture of the world, and that's how the church gets tripped up. The church gets tripped up when we look out to the world to see how we ought to operate as human beings. And that's my, my last and final step that I want to talk about is this. The third step is to question the system of values that says that we should envy the wealthy, famous, and beautiful. You know, I think about God, right? And, and if we're Christians, we... We want to look to God and his word and all that we do and how we live. And, and we think about how God sent his son to come and be the savior of, of the world and, and to sacrifice his life. Like, why did God do it that way? I think about Christmas. Why did God do it that way? He, he sent his son to go be born um, in a place where nobody would let him come in. And so he had to be born in a, a stable in a, in a hay trough, um, in, in the cold, and, and if, I, you know, if I were God or if the world were God, they would say, you know, if God wanted to announce the Messiah coming to the whole world, he would have done it in, 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 in some kind of fantastical, fabulous lighting and, and a huge building, right? And everybody would have just had hearts to serve him and open up their homes to him. But that's not the way that God did it. Why didn't God send Jesus to be a powerful ruler and leader the first time, one that we see is like in the world, right? Like the, influence, the influential people that of our day, we look at them like, man, they're so great and we should be like them and we should accept their advice, right? Like you've got, uh, you know, people like the, the, the people that have, that have made names for themselves, like you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, um, you know, influential teachers, you know, like, like Tony Robbins out there or uh, uh, people that try to get you, you motivated to be a better person, like self-help guru type people. And for some reason, you know, Christians even get caught up in this and we're like, yeah, they're the ones that we should follow. We should really listen to their ideas. They've got something going on. They're smart. They must be doing something right because they're rich and they've made a name for themselves. Man, I, first of all, I'll say that as a Christian, you are following the most famous person in all of the universe, okay? So following him is way better than following these worldly guys. But uh, second of all, as a Christian, man... We shouldn't be looking to them for our ideas on how to live. Jesus came as a humble 
servant. Look at Isaiah, what the prophet says about how Jesus came and who he was. It says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, and we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. This is the picture of Jesus. This is the picture of the person that we follow. He came in humility and died for us so that we could be forgiven. And he chooses now people like that to turn the world upside down. And many people said as, as Jesus' followers um, went on to carry on the mission of Jesus to make disciples to start the church, in the book of Acts, they said, you guys are turning the world upside down with this message. And what does that even mean, turn the world upside down? It means we take the values, the value system of the world that looks to the powerful and the wealthy and the famous and the beautiful, and we're saying, no, that's, not, that's the world's way. Christianity and following Christ is upside down. God uses meek and mild and, and lowly sinners let me read this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love what Paul says. This is my favorite chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Remember, brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of the Lord. You know, God does this this way for his own glory. But humans, back to the sin of Satan and Cain, is pride. We can make a name for ourselves. We can do this on our own. We don't need you, God. Let me show you. And God says, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to take the weak and the lowly and the despised things of the world, and they're going to glorify me. They're going to turn the world upside down. And I, I can relate to this because I am that fool. I am a fool in the world's eyes, and I was a fool in God's eyes too before I came to him. But I didn't do everything right. I didn't get the highest education. I didn't pursue all of my dreams and passions. Um, when I did, it got me into trouble. <laughs> I got into a lot of trouble seeking my own desire out there in the world. By the world's standards, I was a despised addict in my early life. And for whatever reason, God comes into my life, he picks me up, and he says, I love you, even though all this sin that you've done against me, wretched sins, I love you, I died for you, I want to use you, I want to use you to share with the world how great I am. Not me, him, he wants to be known as the one who is worshiped. Not me, not the preacher up on stage, or the guy on TV. God is the one who wants to be glorified and he uses a wretch like me to do that. And you, 
if you're here today and you believe that that wretched person is you, God wants to work through you. We've got to have a correct view of who we are, though. So here's the moral of the story. Envying people is dumb. <laughs> Instead, we ought to look at people and feel sorry for them, especially if they don't know Christ. We ought to feel bad for those who think that they are wise in this world and they're piling up the riches and they're piling up the, their own kingdom and, and making a fortress for themselves on earth. We ought to say, man, that is sad that they don't know the truth, that they need Jesus. If only they knew, how could I let them know? We should not envy those people. They don't have wisdom for us. Wisdom comes from the Lord himself as we go on in these verses. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. We ought to boast in the Lord and brag on him not our own accomplishments. We ought to look to God in contentment. So what's the solution to our problem? This is my last verse, going back to Romans 7. It said, who will free me from this body of sin and death, this struggle that we go through in this life? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But then it goes on, because there are no chapter breaks and verses in the original text. We added those so that we could find things easier. But it goes on in the same letter right after, and it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And you belong to, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And so, as I prepared for this sermon, and I said, Man, I'm sick of talking about sin... Here's the solution to it. When you feel guilty like Paul did, when you're in that struggle of why do I do what, do I, what I do? Why am I like this? Why do I keep failing? Just know that if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are forgiven and there is no condemnation for you. And as you grow in the Lord as a Christian and you continue to put him first and you seek him and you, you, you recognize the sin of pride and all these different sins in your life, you recognize that and as you follow the leading of the life-giving spirit, you don't have to be under the power of sin. And even when you mess up, you know that you're forgiven, you're right with God. And that is such a freeing feeling. Because you know what, I messed up yesterday, but God loves me today. He loved me yesterday. He died for me already. My sins, past, present, and future. And so eventually what happens is there's so much freedom in that. Instead of the rules of religion, like Cain wanted to do, he wanted to make up his own religion to follow God. Instead of the rules, there's this freedom that says, God loves me. Therefore, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. I can follow him with my whole heart. And when I mess up, I know he loves me still. I can follow him and do the things that he wants me to do. And God even helps you through that because he wants all the glory. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for revealing 
the truth about us. And I know that for some people that struggle with, you know, hope, um, they cling on to, you know, some of the, you know, the good things about themselves, and they justify um, certain actions in sin. But God, for your people, help us to just be honest about who we are. It's so freeing. It's so freeing to just say, God, you already know all this stuff about me. Let me not blame you for my circumstances or where I am, God, but let me give the credit to you where credit's due, how much you've blessed us. Forgive me for the sins that I've done against you, the sins that put your very son on the cross. I am guilty of that. Father, but thank you that you stepped outside of, of, of your justice and your wrath for a moment and you gave us mercy and compassion. You poured out your wrath on your son and there was justice there because sin had to be dealt with. But for us, you gave up your son so that we could have life. God, we worship you and praise you today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.